Hello and welcome to ClapperCast, a weekly discussion of all things cinema. I'm your host this week, Carson Tamar, and I'm very happy to be joined by Jakob Flaz. Hello, hello. Alina Falls. Hello. And Ewan Gletto. Hello. So this week we have new Sam Levison, new Studio Ghibli, Golden Globe nominations. What more could you want other than possibly some like good films and good news to talk to? But you know, we'll get we'll get there. Um, we might as well start this episode somewhere. Let's jump over. Finally, we have new Studio Ghibli. Let's talk about Earwig and the Witch. Erica, you haven't ever wished family would adopt you. Have you? Nope. Anybody who choose me would be pretty unusual. <gasps> we'll take this one. For the first time in my life, I'm being made to do something I don't want to do. Now then, let's you and I get a few things straight. My name is Bella Yaga. I'm a witch. Great. In Earwig and the Witch, a headstrong orphan discovers a world of spells and potions while living with a selfish witch. I might as well start here. Goro Miyazaki has had a very uh, troublesome career in animation so far. Um, Not to get fully into it, but he is someone I have a lot of time for. A son of legendary Hayao Miyazaki, didn't want to go into animation, went into architecture, got pulled into animation, uh, made arguably the worst Studio Ghibli film with... um, Oh boy, Tales from Earthsea. Then made the, his other one, which was okay. Went off outside of Studio Ghibli, made a TV show in like CGI animation that's supposedly really good. I haven't seen it. So his return to Studio Ghibli with CGI animation, I was actually pretty okay with. Yes, I knew it was going to look shitty as CGI animation after all. Um, but if this is what it took for him to really find his voice as a storyteller, so be it. You know, like I will rather have a good story that looks shitty than a film with bad story that looks good. Um, sadly, Earwig and the Witch uh, is not that. Uh, I would say arguably the worst Studio Ghibli film to date. I think this comes close to being a full-on disaster. Not only, yes, does it look horrendous. Um, there's some weird like I do like the character designs the execution of them is awful uh, but the story itself is boring it is based on a book that was like incomplete or there's a lot of issues with the book itself Um, so the story itself is just really underbaked really boring very strange just dynamics you have this young girl who's supposed to be the protagonist but then also she's like mentally manipulating her like parents who adopted her the witches she's living with and she like slowly takes control of this household and it's really like conniving and just it doesn't work on any level um like i said i think this is genuinely quite easily the worst studio ghibli film to date um and i would say it comes damn close to being an all-out disaster uh what do you guys think of earwig and the witch though guess i'll go um it was awful it really really was um you know i, I think Studio Ghibli trying to reinvent themselves as the CGI studio to compete with DreamWorks and Pixar was inevitable. How they've gone about it, it looks like... Do you remember that Charlie Sheen film Food Fight? Yes. Looks like that. It's awful. I think, uh, you know, there's narrative issues there quite clearly. But the animation is on a whole new level of problematic. It's, it, is, it is a disaster. It's, it's fascinatingly bad. It's unbelievable. I, I was stunned at how sort of like this is the guy that did from up on poppy hill i mean that's a decent you know that's a stalwart jubilee film this th- this is awful this is 
hectic and nothing happens for the whole running time and at the same time everything goes wrong what little there is is just not worth it it's awful that's well said <laughs> no um, <laughs> i mean well, well, okay well my mum always told me that if you don't have anything to say anything nice to say you should keep your mouth shut well but that, but then again i have i have a long-standing tradition of not listening to my mum. <laughs> so uh, yeah i can uh, i can in full agreement before you know like it's okay what when i got no i watched the screener for this and then i think i started watching this i think like 1 a.m at night but i finished watching malcolm and murray which also which i also got a screener for so and i watched this and i was thinking oh, it's gonna be an 80 minute studio ghibli film it's gonna be nice and fluffy and like what can possibly go wrong <laughs> and then Holy, holy shit, like this is like, like I, I was the 20 minutes in and I'm just thinking, wow, this I'm not sure if I'm going to make it to the very end and it's, it's for like an 87 minute long experience, like this is not good and not good would be a compliment actually, like this is this is a travesty and then when I started looking into into this, because you know by the way, it has to, like, someone has to tell me, because you know, Carson, you mentioned that there's, oh there's a problem with the source material, because that's um, based on What's her woman's name? Diane Wynne Jones's novel. She did write a book that um, Studio Ghibli also adapted, Howl's Moving Castle, right? But when this film wrapped, and spoiler alert, just in case, just in case someone really is gunning to see this, the film kind of ends in a way that I would say this is how a second act of a normal story would end. Like this kind of just ends with a cliffhanger, and I'm just what. Are we teasing a sequel? That's very bold of you, Goro Miyazaki. Like this, this is a piece of shit. Like this, there's not going to be a sequel. And when I actually, when I actually read into how this thing got made, because you know, like you watch a trailer, you you'll know the cutscenes from 1990s video games look better than this. Like Doc McStuffins looks way better than this. Like you know, like my daughter watches 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 cartoons that are just made on the cheap by BBC that look well better put together than this. So. In terms of like technical execution, this is just bottom of the barrel. And then when I started reading into how this got made, and just you know looks into well, if you look into how Goro Miyazaki said, okay, I'm going to make a 3D CGI animated film, and he almost literally locked himself in a room with a bunch of animators that he got from I don't know where. But he apparently never consulted any of the big old guys. Like the old guard had no say. And then they, they, because you'd think to to yourself, there should be some quality control in here. Like someone should see like the dailies or I don't know, some rough scenes somewhere. You know, they they should be able to to tell you, oi, this is like you're putting together a piece of shit. Like you're wasting money here. Like, come on, like what was happening? But no, apparently this is what happens. You just just put it together and said, look, there it is. It's it, it's it's done, and um, and it act looks horrible. The animations, you know, Toy Story in nineteen ninety five looked way better than this, and the Pixar guys who put nineteen in nineteen ninety five who who put Toy Story together. And by the way, they put it together before that because it took them years to to uh, to render this. Because bear in mind that the computer or computers that they were working on like washing machines have now have more computing powers than, than the computers that they were working on right and then it still looks shit in comparison to something that was that was released 25 years ago 26 years ago 
like holy shit like who who let this happen <laughs> like this is like sorry alina <laughs> just because I, I know you haven't seen this but but it's, it's just like, this is a two-thirds of a, of, of a badly put together animation that could have actually been broken into seven different or, or maybe 12 12 15 different cutscenes and put in in, in in a video game that you could release in on a Nintendo console in 2001 and probably would probably still look shit. Like this is not good. And well, I don't really have much more to say about this, but the characters are shit. The story is not even like there is not there isn't a story in there. Like if you think about you know, okay, animation is te technically very very often I'm losing my I'm losing my shit. I'm so sorry, but animation usually relies on very simple narrative structures. Like there is usually archetypal sort of like hero's journey that and this kind of just re relies upon something similar like this is basically like harry potter but kind of slightly different so there's a girl who's an orphan and you, 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 like you it starts with with a very simple premise that you can kind of have a feeling if because this is aimed at children like let's be honest but so so you can have an idea of where this could possibly go so there is a girl left in an orphanage by a woman who's presumably her mother and she's abandoned there, so she grows up in there, and then she's adopted by a, a family of, I don't know, there's a witch, and then there's a guy who looks like Satan, but you know, I'm not sure what his deal is. But so you can have an idea that, okay, well, the story will be about her coming to terms with some form of um, an idea that she's special in a way, that she would be unique in a way, like, say, Harry Potter finds out that he's he's special, right? And then figuring out who her parents are because well, he, no one's special just because they're special. There is there is always a reason. So there would be a story behind like why she got abandoned, who her, her mother is, and it's not really explored in the slightest. It's just glossed over, and then all of a sudden, like the credits roll, and you think to yourself, like what? what? So, so the whole hero's hero's journey kind of just relies on someone you know finding out that they're special finding out that they have some form of a power of some or some form of a skill and then you and then using the skill to either fix something in the world or and then find themselves in the process and this is not even getting there so it's almost so it's basically like a half of a cycle of a, of a classical hero's journey so is there going to be heroic in the witch too probably not and then you know am i going to complain about this well, not really so <laughs> so but but at the same time i kind of feel like i'm like I very often, very rarely do I feel that I'm wasting time watching something because there is always something I can get out of the experience. But this is half of a movie that I watched and I really, really wish I hadn't. So, yeah, so that's my take on this. I'm not sure if I have much more to say, but you no, know, so take it or leave it. But yeah, so Ewig and the Witch is a pile of crap. And as I said to Alina before we started recording, you'll spend, you'll have a better time looking in the toilet for 87 minutes than watching this piece of crap. Thank you. Outside of everything COVID took from us, seeing the like film Twitter elites go to Cannes where this was going to premiere and sit in a theater anticipating the new Studio Ghibli only to get this might be like their Twitter reactions might just be like the thing I miss the most that COVID took from us because it would have been fucking hilarious. Uh, <laughs> my understanding, and I don't know everything, but I believe that the author of the source material died midway through writing the like book, which is why it's so like 
underbaked when it comes to story though i don't get why like you keep the parts that just make no sense like this film is un- incompetent on a different level there are so many little things that you mentioned it seems like they're building and there's little things like she goes to this house and she sees a cat there's a cat there and she's like wow you remind me a lot of my friend from the orphanage and you know they keep saying this and they keep saying this nothing happens to it <laughs> makes no like nothing ever is done with it uh they mentioned she's dropped off at the orphanage because there's all these other witches trying to get her nothing happens there um and then at the end they are bold enough i'm not going to spoil it you know in case you do want to check out the film but they have bold enough to make like a couple reveals of questions that they just didn't build at all they just give like the answers to and it's supposed to be this big moment and it means absolutely nothing like I know it's easy to shit on the animation of this film, but I really cannot stress enough how incompetent the storytelling is. Um, I, I just don't get why anyone would choose to like adapt this or make this. Um, I mean, just seeing how far Studio Ghibli has fallen, I guess, if this is going to be the crap they put out there. Like, I even think Goro Miyazaki possibly, like, this is, like, I think he probably could make a decent feature in the CGI space. He's proven it with whatever show. I don't know the name of the show. But, like, I just don't get why you would choose this as, like, this is going to be the thing we adapt and make. Because it makes guess, no sense. It's shit. Is this, is this his way of telling, you know, showing, showing his father? Like, see, this is why I didn't want to go into animation. Look at this. Piece of shit. Like, happy now? Like, <laughs> this like... But when you think, oh, it's incompetent on so many levels, when you think, oh, well, someone took a source, source material that's not even finished, right? And yeah. said, there's a, oh, that's a good idea. Let's do this. Like, who does this? Like, this, like there's no oversight over this. Like, the director or whoever, like, on a production level, I don't, I don't know how Studio Ghibli operates. Um, but it clearly operates based on this. Like there's there's an every man for himself. Like there is there is enough of a latitude for someone to actually lock themselves in a room and spend millions of dollars without anybody noticing. Like this is like this is not how the way to run a business. Well, I think <laughs> they're just desperate at this point because like That's all their major wow. animators and directors left. Hayao Miyazaki like very like objectively just on his like a, like physical last legs, and He's after that he has nobody. Enough. He's working, he's working on his very last feature right now. Like will probably like not be grim, probably will die sooner than later. And then they just have nobody. So I think they were just like, sure, Goro, go do something like save the studio. And then this is the, what he turned out. And it's like, well, this was a great studio back in the day. I just don't know if Studio Ghibli is going to be able to evolve because if this is their desperate, like attempt to evolve, it, it, failed this is dying like, like i honestly wish they the COVID hadn't happened and they could have opened in Cannes, and then and so so that they could see how 95 percent of the audience leaves they can't or think this boo, is good though i think can in can you boo i think you don't leave do or do people still I've walk never out been there. i think they walk out Jesus. But this can't be, like, they know this isn't going to be a hit. They played it on, like, national TV in Japan, skip theaters, even though theaters there are booming. They just had their biggest film of all time open there. Um, Like, on in the United States, very limited theatrical run, dropped on HBO Max with, like, little to no buzz or advertisement. Like, they know this is shit. They just made shit, and now they have to, like, give... But then they were going to put at Cannes. Why the fuck would you put this at Cannes? Like, what would putting this at Cannes do for anyone? It's, I don't, it's the I don't brand, know. isn't it? It's that, you know, it's Studio Ghibli's got a new film out, amazing. And then it turns out to be this piece of shit. 
this is sort of COVID's elongated the inevitable death of the studio. Ewig and the Witch was the direction they were going to go, anyways. This was inevitable. No. It's just a shame, like Jakub why, said. Why would they? Why would they go in this direction in the first place? They have absolutely no experience and no expertise in this. Like you can clearly see this, right? Yeah. But I think it's it's like Carson said, all, all the big animators and the directors, they, they've left, retired or died. And it's it's Goro that's got to pick up the pieces and sort of say, right, this is what we're doing now. And that's it. That's, yeah, so I don't think might back. as well take a shit on the table while he's at it. <laughs> There's going to be an incredible like retrospect of one crates probably in like 10 years when the studio officially dies. Once Miyazaki puts out his final feature, we're like, you can just see how Studio Ghibli like drop the ball and fail to evolve and ended up dying because of it. Because continually, I mean, just early 2000s, they should have been like treating animators better. They should have been using new voices and evolving. Instead, they just held on to like the Miyazaki way of making films far too long. And like, well, all we're getting is pain, like, this is what we get for it. This is what Studio Ghibli gets for not evolving. Like they fucking fail. It's it's depressing as someone who loves Studio Ghibli. I'm working on a whole series right now looking at all their films. It's like desperately depressing, but it is just it is what it is. It's a warning sign for studios and for filmmakers. You know what the big kick in the teeth was when the end credits were playing and you could see the actual, you know, the actual drawings of the characters. I was like, well, yeah, do that with a different story. No, yeah, do that with a different story, which is basically to what basically this means to me. Just make a different film. Yeah, like just forget this, and then you know when they eventually the studio is gonna die, and then they will start releasing box sets of like complete Studio Ghibli pictures, and there will be always like this one little thing where people will just putting the uh, well taking the earwig and the witch out and just put in the bin where it belongs. At least it's taking the heat off of uh, fucking uh, Tales from Earthsea. That was the film before this, but now I don't hear anyone complaining about Tales from Earthsea. Now it's just this oh, it's one. all about context, mate. It's all about context. <laughs> We've learned this already. You know, like I, I was actually proud of myself that I finished watching it. You know, like, and and I, I was actually trying to pay attention too. I mean, this is. Well, like you said, I was waiting for the film to start. Like you are in an hour and you're like, oh, is it finally going to start? Like what is happening? And it just never does. I mean, I can I can get on board with like these sort of little quirky things like this guy Mandrake, right? Like the, the sort of Satan looking motherfucker, right? Um, who's who's like playing the keyboards in his room. And like, well, when, when he was like locked in his room and, you know, she was kind of trying to wonder what is he up to in there? Just, I, I, was, I, was, I wanted this. Like she looks in the keyhole and then she sees him like all, all looped up and naked and just <laughs> going at it that would have been bold that would have been bold <laughs> but no no she's no oh, they had a band and then just this like, i can't like, you know, like i can live with really like, shitty animation like cgi i, I can if, if the story works i can i, I can t- turn a blind eye into many things but there's no character there's no story Plot I can take or leave, like who cares? But you know, like if there's if there's no momentum for anything to happen, so if there's no um, force that just keeps the character going forward and you compelled to, to to sit there and 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 be there while while she figures out what her deal is, then there's no point watching this. Like this is literally, literally the like in 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 Oxford English Dictionary, this should be. Um, as you know, found as a as a definition of a waste of time. Like this is like, I I don't I don't know how how else to put it. And you know, 
I'm, I'm happy for people in Cannes who you know didn't have to see this because they would have been trapped and they would have probably paid solid money to make to make it happen anyway. Like holy shit, this is bad. Well, what little character there is is really confusing because she's like, even though she's like in this space where she should be pretty threatened, like there's literal demons and witches and like magic. She's like, no, I'm going to emotionally manipulate these people and get under their skin until I control the house. And like, it's fucking wild. Like, it's not only unlikable, but it's just like batshit insane how she treats these characters and how she like she reacts to these situations. And then by the end, like, I guess, spoiler warning, she succeeds and she just like is emotionally manipulating these witches, even the one Mandrake who was always decent to her, at least the other one, you know, fuck her. But even Mandrake, then she's just like emotionally abusive to it's fucking weird. Like, I I just don't get it. I mean, you know, this this should have actually had this, 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 this actually feels like this is one and a half acts of something because it needs an inciting incident where she would probably see that, oh, the witch was really just you know, being reading because okay, well, spoiler alert: she she gets she gets adopted by uh, you know a, a witch, and then she has to do chores in the house. She's basically a slave labor, child slave labor in the house. And then as she goes on and she tries to exact some kind of revenge on them for 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 taking advantage of them, this should actually have led to something like her discovering that she has some kind of a skill. And then they're eventually her either figuring out that the witch is doing this on purpose because she wants to actually take, you know, tease the skill out of her because she knows who her mom is or, um, or, or that she would turn into a massive antagonist. And then, you know, there's so many ways you could turn this story into an actual story, but this is not, not a story. This is not a complete narrative. Like this is not even half of one. So, you know, I, 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 would, I would actually want to show it to my seven-year-old daughter and then she'll probably just fall asleep halfway through. Because, you know, like, there, is no, there is no reason to actually sit there and, and follow this through because the character is unlikable. No, nothing really happens. And there's no payoff at the end. End of story. Here again, the witch sucks. Hashtag fucking kill me. So I've, I've, I've been quiet this whole time, obviously, because I haven't seen it. Um, just listening to everything. And I mainly didn't see it because I couldn't figure out where it was like playing in Canada. And also, I didn't want to bother finding that out because like, I honestly just don't care. It looked terrible. And based on what all of you are saying, it is terrible. So it looks like my instincts are correct. And I don't even like Studio Ghibli in the first place. I'm oh, sorry to there. all the anime nerds <laughs> I've just offended. But I, out of all the ones I've seen, they've all just been either boring or just fine. And I have not had like a good time watching any Studio Ghibli films. And I don't understand why people like them. And I think you all are blinded by childhood nostalgia. I haven't I hadn't seen any of them until I was about two years ago. Same. So. Same. <laughs> So no, there's no childhood nostalgia. I've seen only a handful of them, but um, but there's there's some of them that work, some of them that don't. But you know, th this one is just it doesn't have the same sort of spark in terms of like well, it can't even spark a nostalgic reference for you because it's not hand drawn. So you could so you can't even see the same lines in there and saying oh well, there's there's at least some form of a connection to what ha what what's what's come before it. No, it's like. Goro Miyazaki is trying to start a spin-off business based on Studio Ghibli's cloud. And, um, well, he's taking a massive dump on its legacy. That's what he's doing. So, yeah, Kevin, like a year, we're not going to see this on the Uncut Gems podcast. 
No, we're not going to see this. (laughs) No. I don't think anybody should see this. Well, on that note, let's move to another film I'm sure everyone here loves. Let's talk about Netflix's Malcolm and Marie. You are by far the most excruciating, difficult, stubbornly obnoxious woman I've ever met in my entire life. I fucking love you. Oh, he's so sensitive. He's romantic. But he's sweet, right? Well, I mean, yeah. When he's not being an emotional fucking terrorist. Oh. (laughs) I love the way you see the world, Marie. In Malcolm and Marie, a filmmaker and his girlfriend return home from his movie premiere. Smoldering tensions and painful revelations push them towards a romantic reckoning. Jakob, why don't you start with this one? What did you think of Sam Levinson's Malcolm and Marie? Uh, I was thinking, how, how am I going to square this? Because, okay, by the, by the time you're listening to this, you should know the episode two of Uncle James' podcast, shameless plug, fuck that. Um, but... <laughs> We spoke about assassination nation, and we all jizzed all over this. This was because it's it's really. I mean, I don't. We all. I kind of. I, I I wasn't really a fan of this until I rewatched it, and I, and and I kind of really got on board with this. And we all were kind of just ooing and ahhing about this. And then, so you can It's. I'm. I. I wish I hadn't known what I know walking into watching Malcolm and Murray because I knew what was what the sort of the, the ulterior motive behind the film was before I watched it. So if you don't know, Malcolm and Murray well, was I think it was completed last year. So in the midst of the pandemic. So I guess fucking thumbs up, right? Because you know like they, they managed to complete a film that doesn't even mention the pandemic, by the way, in a single location in a house. I think it's Vincent Dyer's house. Um but well, if you, if you pay attention to the story, there's a rant in there, if, if, and it's quote, all quoted on IMDb, and it's like a wall of text, by the way. So you can you can then see what the what the sort of intention of the film is, because it's technically about a, a relationship falling apart, uh, because they um, the two people, John David Washington and Zendaya's characters, Malcolm and Marie, they have uh it was sort of deeply seated regrets to one another like one like zendaya is sort of um pissed off that sh- that john david washington didn't thank her at, a, at his premiere and and then he he gets glowing reviews he basks in the sort of sunshine of his career and then she gets nothing out of this and even and and the film she and the film he made was based upon her life story so that's sort of the, the central conceit of the film is basically about authenticity about um uh, inspiration, muse, and then it kind of just ha- takes these pot shots every now and again at critical reception to the film, and then how critics interpret what the filmmaker filmmaker um, wants the film to be, and they try to sort of second guess what what the filmmaker's intentions are, and then whether they are allowed to do that or not. Now, that's okay. I don't have any any, any problems with this. In, in, in theory, at least, on paper. However, holy shit, this is turning into a run again, sorry. Um, but, so I'm gonna shut up in a second. But, you know, however, the, the film itself um, seems like it's propelled by this, the filmmakers, um, so Sam Levinson's drive to take revenge on the film critic Katie Walsh from LA Times. 
who reviewed Assassination Nation, uh, well, to put it politely, quite poorly. Like she really didn't really leave an, a, a single, uh, well, she just drenched him in vitriol. This was great. Like if you read this review, it's, it, it's just, well, it's very well written, but it's very angry. And then she basically just criticizes his intentions or his alleged intentions anyway. Uh, so the film eventually just reveals its um, true sort of intentions when Malcolm just goes on this five minute long rant about, you know, whether his perspective is, is you know, defined by his, by his identity and what the hell does that mean if Barry Jenkins and it being not, not being gay uh, makes or invalidates moonlight or, or not or whatever. And then you quickly realize, at least I did, that the drama that he's so carefully crafted between these two people is meaningless because all that matters is his relationship with the critic. So he's hiding behind John David Washington and Zendaya, who are also black actors, as though he, so, so that, I don't know. So it's difficult to criticize them for another reason. And he just fires portraits at critics and, 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 and therefore he disregards the central sort of drama in there, which is the drama between two people who are either falling out of love or they're figuring out how to fall, keep staying, stay being, or be in, the, in a relationship where they're having so many regrets and trying to work through these regrets. Because it doesn't matter. All that matters is Sam Levinson has a bruised ego. And that to me was very, very disappointing. So I'm going to stop there because you know, like, I feel like you know, like I'm going to I could go on for like another 20 minutes and just and I, I don't really feel like I'm gonna, I want to go there just yet. So yeah, so I was very very disappointed with this film, even though it's kind of well put together in terms of okay, well, in terms of, in terms of its artifice, more it's black and white, more it's it's single location, so it's quite kind of easy to put something like this together. So it like looks nice, and John David Washington and Zendaya are quite you know. They're very talented actors and they're doing a, a really good job with the, with the lines they have to recite. But the whole thing is fucking corrupt as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, so that's, that's my take, at least for now. I think Sam Levinson is a menace to society. I like generally cannot stand him. I watch, like recording this on a Sunday. So I watched Malcolm Marie on Friday night. And then obviously I figured out like, oh, he's fucking very bitter about how people didn't like Assassination Nation. I guess you should watch fucking Assassination Nation. I watched that last night. And Sam Levinson is a fucking menace to society. I cannot stand him. He's such a fucking moron. <sighs> like, first of all, there's something extremely off-putting about seeing mac and cheese in black and white. That like personally offended me. It was gross to see. I, I didn't like it. I don't know why, but it makes my skin crawl. <sighs> Second of all, there's something like extremely disgusting about a nepotism child white man using a black man to spew his like hatred towards like critics and stuff. Like just accept that you have nothing interesting to say and you're only a thing because your dad made Rain Man. Like you're such a fucking loser. Pathetic, pathetic. I was reading a review for Assassination Nation on Letterboxd and somebody commented on one and they had seen Assassination Nation at TIFF whatever year it came out and apparently Sam Levinson went on like a 30 minute long tear soaked rant about how 
nobody would like take a chance on him to tell the story of young women in America. And why the fuck does this 30 year old white man have to tell the story of young women in America? I hate him. Like he's like the worst kind of nepotism child and I hate him. So hopefully somebody else has something nice to say, but I think he's a loser and a waste of air. <laughs> Not to jump on the hate Sam Levinson train, but he's either an idiot or a moron. Uh, I think that's very clear watching Malcolm and Marie. Um, it, it's a thinly veiled attempt to knock back critics that didn't like his first feature when it had very little to offer. And Malcolm and Marie has even less because it, its whole purpose for existing is just to strike back at criticism rather than learn from it. And there's no opposition to it. It's his film. He can do whatever he likes. He uses these characters as catalysts for his own message, which is weak and poorly written. And it's so pretentious and the script just drones on and it's awful and embarrassing for everyone that's involved. However, no, there is no however. It really is that bad. It's awful. I thought that there's not a single, aside from technical merits, you know, black and white cinematography is always going to look nice. It doesn't matter what you do with it or where you put it. It's always going to look quite nice. And I think he, he coasts along on that quite well because underneath that layer of black and white cinematography is a director that's so... What's the word for it? He, he doesn't... He's not comfortable thinking that people don't like his movies, especially not critics, because they're the vocal ones that are saying, this isn't very good. Maybe we shouldn't watch this. So he's trying to knock back at that. And it's sort of, the issue isn't with the critic, it's with the creative that's put this absolute nonsense together. I will say as someone who really liked Assassination Nation, I'm very torn on Malcolm and Marie. I think you can split this film into three different sections. There's number one, a general look at the film industry, which I appreciate. Uh, there's conversations in here about the male gaze and how that can you know, differentiate if you're a gay man or a straight man. I think there's some decent, like when it comes to general looks at the film industry and the conversation around film and how film criticism kind of doesn't do the human experience justice in talking about like film criticism, it's good. I really like that side of the film. There is the relationship genre drama, which is fucking boring. Uh, it just continues to go on and on and on with this arguing. Clearly this relationship should not, you know, these characters should not be together. They're basically just abusing each other. Um, and it's just not interesting. It wasn't fun to watch. I never felt like these like this relationship was real or alive. Um, and then you get the third section, which is what you guys are really talking about, which I also dislike quite a bit, is when he tries to be very like focused about his criticism with the film industry, but instead of being authentic, it clearly is just him like going off on his own tangents and it's just bad. I don't know how as a white male actor or director who made his first film about the teenage female experience. And then this film specifically through the lens of a black director in modern society, how you have the gall to question Moonlight and Barry Jenkin making Moonlight as a not queer individual. Like, I don't know where you get off on thinking like you deserve to have this question of authenticity and this question of who should be making these films for what voices genuinely fuck off. It's also just not like applicable. There's this whole section of the film where he's screaming about and literally having John David Washington screaming um, about um, 
not just authenticity in the film industry, but about people trying to put politics into films and into statements that are not clearly political. When Assassination Nation, I haven't seen Euphoria to be very clear, but Assassination Nation is strictly a political film. Every ounce of that film is beaming very openly with politics and a reflection on the politics and how that relates to the teenage female experience and just the modern human experience in general. Um, it is honestly, it is um, like as a film, I like Malcolm and Marie overall. As a film from Sam Levinson, as a response to the critique of Assassination Nation, I think this is downright near embarrassing. I think this, he shines a light on every single thing that he shouldn't be shining a light on. Everything that someone, every critic, every critique someone has of Assassination Nation and Sam Levinson as a person, he just simply like validates within Malcolm and Marie. Um, I appreciate the cinematography. I think Zendaya is doing great. John David Washington continues to impress. Uh, compared to Tenet, hey, at least he has a fucking character here. You know, at least he's acting. He has something he has name, he's doing. Least, right? He's not, yeah, he has a name. He is not just saying random words. He has emotion he is portraying. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I, I, as a film, I think there's enough here to where I would say I like the film overall. As a follow-up in the conversation of Sam Levinson's career, uh, fuck this. And, and Sam Levinson, I, I just don't understand why he made this film. It is downright, like I said, embarrassing. I mean, okay, well, let's let's okay, let's get into this because this is going to be the I think this is the more interesting conversation than rather than sort of discussing the film itself as in as a drama. If you, in in this terms, okay, well, as as a as a relationship drama, it clearly is to me. I mean, just to just to put it put it to bed, it clearly is to me a very. I mean, he thinks he's John Cassavetes. He thinks he's like Richard Linklater, who who can just you know, um, or he thinks he can be both Richard Linklater. And um, what's his face, um, Aaron Sorkin, which is two different sort of ways of writing and directing. As in, like one of them will let people improvise and then arrive at a at, a, at wherever they need to get as characters, and the other one will will tell them, read it how it's written. I wrote this. The lines perfect. Fuck off. I don't like your ad libs. Okay, and you, you figure out which one's which. <laughs> but um, but you know. In, there's a scene in Before Midnight where if you if you haven't seen Before Midnight, you should actually stop listening right now. Go and go and watch Before Midnight because it's a masterpiece. Okay, um, there's a scene in Before Midnight where Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy get into a they're they're a couple in middle aged couple and they have these same kind of regrets and then same kind of like dirt under their finger their fingernails, and they 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 get into a hotel room. Um, to celebrate, I can't remember exactly if it's their anniversary or some description. I, I don't know, but you know, like what starts with, oh, let's just have sex and have a good time. There's just these sort of regrets kind of boil over, and they they have this thirty-minute argument in there, and he basically took this argument, which is by by the way brilliant, heartbreaking, and absolutely amazing, because the people understand their characters they they're allowed to have a say about what these characters have feel and they're, they're natural they're organic this is basically just two well, this is basically this is two people reciting lines that someone wrote for them without any sort of and they don't have a life right so so he, what he did he he took before midnight stretched it into 110 minutes 105 minutes and filled the blanks with pot shots at critics so, so that's that's to one side. 
Now, I'm not even sure if he's, because uh, you, know, you mentioned uh, that, you know, he, how does he have the goal to kind of just, you know, take a shot at Barry Jenkins? I don't even, okay, I pulled out a quote from it, from, from when, when you were speaking <laughs> from, that, from that rant, right? When he says, I mean, the fact that Barry Jenkins isn't gay, is, is that what made Moon Knight so fucking universal? Or was being gay the reason Zucker empathized with women more than men? It's all a fucking mystery is the point. Like, well, what, what drives a filmmaker? What drives an artist? I mean, why did Ponte Corvo, a fucking rich Italian Jewish man, why did he, why did he feel such a kinship to Algerian Muslim guerrilla fighters that he made, that he made Battle, Battle of Algiers? So he's not really... He's hiding behind him, as in he's using him as an example. What, in a different, like, I don't know if you've seen the uh, interview he gave in Esquire. Um, so he's using Spike Lee, but he's 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 basically just think, thinks himself that he's Spike Lee, that he's being being sort of like vilified the way Spike Lee was when he did uh, he made do the right thing, and some critics were saying that oh the film's dangerous because it's inside violence, which is ridiculous anyway. However, my main point in here is. Well, apart from the fact that it's contrived, but my main point in, in, in here is he's a bruised ego who made a film that people didn't understand. And I can, I can defend Assassination Nation because if you take its politics away from it, there's still an artifice in there. It's brilliantly put together on a technical level, like the, 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 the split screen sequences at a party on, on, on their own. There's a 10 minute sequence in there, which just looks amazing. The sort of roaming camera around the house when these people are descending on the, on the house where, where the, the girls are sort of kind of cooked up. It's brilliantly technically put together. It, there is craft in there that you can, that you can latch onto. There, this thing doesn't have anything of that, you know, of that level, because it's not interested in this. All this film's interested in is making a political statement that him, he as an as an artist, has no. He he doesn't have a place. To, no, this is not his place to say it because once he completes a film, he's no longer a part of this transaction. No one gives a shit what he thinks that I think about this film. It's my job as a as a viewer or maybe as a critic to figure out what, what I think drove him. It's not his place to come and tell me what I should be thinking. That's, he made something, what he thought is his, is his idea. How people will interpret this, he doesn't have any say over this. And he doesn't clearly understand that he is, he's basically a petulant whining child who just can't get over the fact that people didn't understand what he thought this, his films are about. And he doesn't understand why he's not a big massive star because he probably thought he should be one now and then you know that's a that's a, so i think this is what we should probably get into because like, this is this is ridiculous imagine creating a film like three four years ago everyone who most people who see it genuinely like it not a lot of people saw it again we kind of get into this discussion before you go off then you make an emmy award-winning series critically acclaimed fucking super popular everyone loves it and then still having enough raw motion based on a handful of reviews of your first film to where in 2020 2020 yeah this was made 2020 mm-hmm. during a pandemic you're like well now's the time like i gotta get this off my chest like what a fucking joke of like a human 
because if, if it just made assassination nation and then like he hasn't made anything since sure he fucking has made a critically acclaimed fucking everyone f- who sees it fucking loves euphoria and just like he's still so fucking triggered and bruised by this it, it i don't know what he thinks he's gonna achieve with this feature well, he well he's achieving something because people uh, well no some people will just now if you look on Twitter or in Letterbox people will just say I don't know what this what this whole who hoopla is all about because John David Washington's amazing and I'm in love with him and by the way no it's not even that way, it's because it sounds no. smart <laughs> film Twitter fucking is annoying Microphone and if bro. any film or any piece of media wants to claim that it's smart and like act like it's smart, smart people are like it's fucking smart and it's not. And we'll no, get into this with t- Golden Globes. It's fucking annoying. I think you can just tell that Malcolm and Marie is the work. Like, it's by a very insecure man. And that is, like, just so fucking evident. And it's it's embarrassing. Like, yeah. Sam Levinson should be embarrassed. No, like, but- I haven't seen Euphoria either. I'm sure it's good. Um, but, like, the fact that you're so hung up on some people not liking your first feature film... Is embarrassing you sam levinson has all the fucking opportunity in the world because he's the son of fucking barry levinson who directed rain man like he is getting everything fucking handed to him he's gonna have plenty of other chances to prove to people that he can be a good filmmaker so why the fuck is he whining that people didn't like assassination nation just get the hell over it that's exactly why because he's a he's a son of a big shot director and you know you know what happens when you have okay well imagine that take film out of the equation right i'm sorry if i if i just cut you off you one <laughs> but you know oh sorry <laughs> no because if you imagine that if um okay imagine that this is not film related like okay well imagine then you have someone who's a successful businessman right and then he has a son and this son grows up and then he thinks okay i'm gonna start my own business i'm gonna develop an app right and then he's gonna develop this app or do whatever and then turns out that this app's shit and then his startup tanks and he just and then he has the goal to go and whine to everyone and saying that why can't i be a successful businessman like my dad like look i should be able to do this because you know i there, it runs in the family it's in the genes no it doesn't no it doesn't you either you're either talented or you or you're not and the only thing that you know that your your parentage gives you is this sort of leg in well, the foot in the door right because like, you know like there are people who are say, let's just say quote, quote unquote products of nepotism who are successful uh, people in their own right who have made their made it their own way say like Sofia Coppola is one of these examples and she's amazing like everything she does I, I, I absolutely adore and then um, and there's there's a few other sort of examples and probably half. Literally, of John David Washington is also an nepotism child, and he's like actually good. Goro Miyazaki has... did did a film after. <laughs> yeah, he did a great. Yeah, no, but but there are there are successful examples of that. But then he, but he 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 gives an in. I mean, he he will he will put this quote in. Okay, we'll put this in in his actors. Well, he has the audacity to write a line and put it in someone else's mouth. And I quote, you can't hang everything on identity. And I actually agree with this. It's fine. Okay. You can't, I can, I should be able to say what I think about the experience of Jewish Holocaust survivors because people are allowed to empathize. That's okay. If you can't empathize, you're probably a sociopath. You should probably check yourself in at a hospital or section yourself somehow. But you know, this is, this is okay. As long as, as you remain tactful, you do your research 
and then you remain truthful to the um, uh, and 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 loyal to the material handling. You should be able to to be. And then if a Jewish Holocaust survivor then tells you, no, you got it wrong, and I disagree, and I'm offended no, by but, what you no, said, but then you listen say, to but that. Then you, if, if you did your research right and said, well, I spoke to like a hundred of them, sure. and this is what they told me. So I have a feeling that, you know, okay, well, maybe your experience was different. This is based on theirs. So you, you, you can have, have a conversation like this. It's fine. Like, you, you know, Pontecorvo could have a conversation with you about Algerian Muslims, as long as he doesn't sit in his Italian house in Sicily somewhere, thinking what they what their life is like if he bothers himself to go to algeria and speak to them live their life for a few months for a few months he should be able to do this right this is this is exactly what my problem with summerland was because you know like you can you can have a you can have a you know a conversation about being gay in the 40s if you do your research if you actually take make the effort to actually speak to someone who may have lived through this or may have have some kind of an opinion on what it's like to be a, to to be gay or and if you if you if you just sit in your cozy house in Chelsea, and then and, and just drink prosecco as you're doing it, like you're gonna come up with with, with nothing no, nothing else but fakery, and that's what he's doing because you know he's he's clearly now all he's doing is basically just venting his rage, and this is you know you can't hang hang everything on identity quote, you can't say that I brilliantly subverted this job because I'm black because but I fell into this one because I'm a fucking man. Identities are constantly shifting. Does the male gaze exist if the filmmaker is gay and not straight? And to what degree? I mean, that's fine. Okay, well, this is a valid point. Okay. However, he's doing this while half of this film is basically ogling Zendaya, who doesn't wear a bra, and he's making a point of the fact that she you can always see her nipples protruding. Okay. So he's being contrived, and this is pissing me off. Because he look, you can't have it both ways. You can't tell me that it's in, in, you know that you know that okay. Well, you're trying to make a, a an informed. You have to have, you want to have an informed perspective from say point of view of um I don't know a white a white teenage woman while ogling her. It's not okay. Like you can't have it both ways. You have, you know, so that's a problem. Sorry. I think it's. <laughs> it's it's worrying that between like the nepotism and and everything that he's sort of pushing through and he's reacting to these critics he's he's actually convinced producers to to make an echo chamber around his own thought process and that that is essentially what Malcolm and Marie is yeah it's I, I'm I'm just worried that it's gonna you know this this is certainly not the last Sam Levinson film we'll get and it's certainly not the last one we'll get that displays this sort of callous disrespect towards people that might not have the same opinion as him. I mean, eventually some, he, someone's going to run out of patience, right? Like the, uh, the quote-unquote nepotism sort of platform has a, has a, has a finish line. Like the, at some point he's going run, to run, run out of the runway and you either have to soar on his own or he's going to just drive straight into the forest just just behind the runway that's pretty much what is going to happen because you know like you can't you can't just keep wasting people's money it is like this is a film that has like i don't know how it's doing outside of film twitter but this has everyone talking about it and buzzing like when you have something like netflix where the entire point is just get as many clicks as possible i don't see why they wouldn't fund another sam levison film as long as it gets people talking and becomes relevant in the conversation like this film is very like it is achieving on like a corporate level, I think what it's meant to be. 
Like I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, no, but you know, like you, if you if you read what he has to say about this film, as in, like he was asked about 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 the um, the sort of rant that he had John David Washington recite, and this is well, fair enough. It, you know, John David Washington is a is is a professional, so he could so he could recite like a wall of text without without actually blinking, right? So that's great. But when he's asked about you know like you know about um, there's a question in this Esquire article that's basically, uh, there's a point where Malcolm rages about the fact that films by black directors or about black people are always seen as being about race. Was that something that you had heard from black filmmakers? And he dodges the question. He basically says, well, it's kind of evident in film criticism and history and then Spike Lee, yada, 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 was irresponsible. And he basically just says, there's this tendency amongst the establishment, and I mean white establishment critics, to categorize things and talk about them in a way that can sometimes speak to their own importance. Films are so important that suddenly nobody wants to see them because it feels like homework. Like the guy is just a bruised child. And, you know, because he doesn't, he doesn't understand that he's not a part of the conversation the conversation we ha we're having, he's never going to be part of. That's not his business. What I what I think about his film. But he would be. Assassination Nation was a, like this is so unneeded because Assassination Nation was for most people, sorry Alina, like a great film. Like he has skill, he has talent. Even here, the filmmaking is really good. Like this is not an incompetent filmmaker who's never going to become an icon. Like he is. He just doesn't have like the fucking thick enough skin to get through like a few negative reviews he's letting it derail his filmography like he has all the talents to become someone massive i just don't think he's gonna allow himself to get there at this point because of shit like this and that's why i'm so mad at this film really talking about it because this isn't just some bullshit person like he has talent he has good fucking like skill when it comes to filmmaking and even when it comes to some social commentary like in assassination nation it just, I, I've never seen someone like, and you know, I've not necessarily followed film for a long time to be fair, but like, I've never seen a filmmaker just be like, fuck it. You know? Yeah. I'm going to let these two fucking negative reviews get to me and I'm going to fucking just like try to tear it apart. And then it backfire like this. I have an example for you. Have you seen John Carpenter's Day Live? Yes. Okay. I mean, just for the record, John Carpenter had never had any luck with critics. Like everything he's made was either, well, apart from Halloween was panned critically and some of them made money and then i think starting with the thing none of them made money they re-emerged as cult classics in the in the process however in they live there's a scene where they go into this little little i can't remember if it's like a i don't know if it's like a landfill or whatever they have their, their little sort of get together with the rebels right and there's a scene where they show a television screen and they show um gene Sisko basically having a go at uh, on at violence in the thing. So basically this is his way of just taking a little jab at Cisco and saying like, well, it's you're, you're, you're off base in here because this is escapism. This is, you know, this is a genre film. And then you're just looking, you know, you're just treating me as though I'm, I'm, I'm you know, like I'm, I'm making a Schindler's list with, with lots of squibs, you know? But that's that's a tactful way of handling the same sort of subject matter. You can just have your little poke, have a have a little you know joke at the expense of the critic. That's fine. That's that's been done in the past. But you, you, if you turn this into a film, it's it's just whiny. It's it's irresponsible and 
and all of a sudden this it lose all sorts of merit because if it if it's overwhelmed by this there is nothing else in there you know so what what's the point of this one apart from just him crying to me about the fact that you know most of most of the people that he thought should love assassination nation didn't i mean he's he's basically crying to me as a viewer or as a critic that he's not regarded this, the way he thinks he should be and then at, at this point i'm just fuck, fuck, fuck you sam levinson if you're listening to this you can fuck off okay you know because I'm, I'm, he might actually be listening because apparently he cares about what I have to say. You get name dropped <laughs> in the next feature. Uh, yeah. I hope we do. I hope I hurt his feelings. Um, I think <laughs> a, a huge reason why I dislike Sam Levinson's writing so much is I don't know. It just feels like he doesn't listen to the people that he's writing about. Like this whole rant in Malcolm and Marie about like how like well your identity doesn't matter like not everything that black directors do is about race and like blah 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 and all this stuff I'm like that's fine that's valid but a lot of the times it is like for people of color our identity matters to us because it's been trying to be stripped away from us for so fucking long and the fact that he went on this like whole identity rant about like black directors and whatever and how like mm, you don't need to be black to like write about black people whatever it was just stupid and like it just very it bothers me because you can just tell that he never bothered to like just ask black people how they feel when they like make films and whatever and say so he's right there are plenty of movies where they're like about like people of color but they're like made by white people like the last black man in san francisco was made by like two white dudes and everybody really likes that because there's a nuance to it they actually like listen and understand and empathize sam levinson doesn't and he thinks he does yeah i mean in black, last black man in san francisco i think one of these guys um the main character i mean the act, lead actor in this story was the actual person who on, on whose life this is based as well. Yeah, so I think they're also of, best friends. Like there's yeah, authenticity also, there. Yeah, yeah. But then exactly. so the guy the guy behind the camera is white and he is his best friend. So he's looking at him and, and he's taking he's taking um notice of what his sort of view of this is. It's fine. Like you can you know I don't have any problems with Steven Spielberg making a film about, I don't know, slavery, as long as the people he's working with and surrounds himself with, with like script writers and everyone are taking, are paying attention to being um, respectful to the material they're handling. It's fine to have, you know, like when he goes on in this rant again, like, hold on, because I have it open, it's just brilliant. You know, just do me a fucking favor, all right? Ban every fucking film with a postscript and, and we'll be good. We'll be fucking great. But to write shit like this, this write this bullshit to box people in because you don't have the love of film, because you don't have the mind to critique the form, the medium, the technique. You don't have the words to describe the fucking emotions or too much fear that you're not going to get clicks or too much fucking fear that you're, that you're afraid the mob's going to turn on you. Well, then fuck you. Fuck you for inhibiting the ability of artists to dream about what life may be like for other fucking people. I mean, what do you guys make of this? Like, this is exactly the type of behavior that, you know, like a spoiled rich kid would exhibit when when he doesn't get his way yeah you don't have to be dreamy about how other people feel you just fucking ask them sam levinson piece of shit 
pretty much no yeah i mean i could i i said i i got on i can get on board with his view of what 16 year old american girls could be like even though i i don't think he's uh, he's speaking to them he's speaking through them to me and and i know this is all stylized but when he's and it's okay that his his perspectives in you know imperfect if his, if if you're if the cause is holy you're gonna work it's gonna work it's gonna fly somehow because it's going to be coming from the right place from the heart from the soul and if it's coming from a, your gallbladder it's not gonna work right okay yeah i mean he's 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 he, he it looks like he's 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 seeking validation he's not getting it because he thinks that his his work should be driven by critical acclaim and then if he's not getting it then what's the point of doing it but if if you if you're doing this like if if you told martin scorsese this that's like oh if the critics don't like my stuff oh i should probably what what, what should i do i don't think he gives a shit like I don't think like Paul Schrader or Steven Spielberg. Spielberg. I don't think like Sofia Coppola, another another sort of product of nepotism. I don't think she reads reviews and takes care, take take takes notice of them. Like she just wants to tell stories, and she and, and she she will just tell tell them anyway. Who gives a shit what the critic thinks? This is our like our our responsibility as viewers and critics is to contextualize things, and then you know like have, and then think about what what this says about the world around us how to, positioning it in, in the world around us it, that, that this doesn't concern the artist like the artist is just you know doing whatever they feel like is is the right thing at the right time and if you and if he's carefully designing the, these things to be political statements then he's probably failing and then i'm actually at this point I'm, I'm starting to kind of just second guess my own my, my own sort of appreciation of assassination nation as a film because i actually thought this was coming from the right place and it might not have come from the right place in the first place in which case i might have to revoke my four and a half stars out of out of five for this because it's you know it might just be just you know alina may may, may you may be onto something by giving him one star one star for i wish i had been on the assassination nation podcast and i because you guys also i haven't listened to it yet but you guys all seem to like it and i was like what the fuck is wrong with you people you guys have terrible opinions on this week's episode of uncut gems <laughs> I will say I think it's very dangerous Sam Levinson's idea in this film that he presents of like the critical opinions all that matters because it's it leaves out this huge chunk of filmmaking which is you know the general public the general audience granted for Assassination Nation he didn't get any so you know I guess fair enough we're kind of skipping it but um you know, I, I think there's this sense of like criticism matters more than anything. And we'll talk about this when we get to Golden Globes, because I think film Twitter is becoming unbearable because everyone feels like they need to become a critic and everyone needs like everyone feels like, oh, I, I, I just need to share my opinion on this level. And it's most people can just shut up. Um, but um, Sam Levinson clearly just only cares about like critical acclaim and becoming like that side of iconic and popular and cool. And it's like, well, but you also have to appeal to general audiences. Like, I feel like if the film didn't bomb, he wouldn't have such an issue. But I think he's blaming that on the critics who said it was bad rather than any other issue with the film or the marketing or anything else, which is just like false. That's not how it works. 
Um, Because ultimately, if this film, if Assassination Nation blew up and was iconic and everyone loved it and it became this huge name, he wouldn't probably care about the two bad reviews or however many bad reviews he's, you know, specifically targeting with this. It's the fact that it bombed and no one talked about it and he just needed to find someone to blame. And he's ending up blaming the reviews rather than anyone else, which is just like inauthentic. It's not the truth. Anyway, Sam Levinson, take some fucking responsibility for yourself. No, I mean, That's what I think. <laughs> you, you know, it kind of looks like it's just to him. Okay, well, critical acclaim is, is fine as long as it's positive, right? I mean, okay, well, you have to take the good ones and the bad ones. Some, sometimes, you know, well, Roger Ebert hated Color of Money. And then he told Scorsese that those words exactly because they're like, they're all friends. I mean, they used to know he's dead, but you know, they were friends, right? And he basically just told him like, you, like, you, you could have do it you could have done it much better marty like holy shit this is bad right and and you can take it on the chin learn from this and then do better or not care at all let us do whatever we can and it's actually you know, whatever whatever we want to do with the material that you've presented like in like your point of everything of everyone being a critic now it's basically just something that i've been kind of feeling more and more profoundly these days because everyone with a twitter account is basically a critic but now what, what, who's he's who he's cynically targeting now is well he's basically just feeding into this narrative that's been brewing for a couple of years now where you know um audiences know better than the critics because critics get stuff wrong and then audiences you know there's there's fans and there's critics and then this this sort of divide kind of show, shows up very often with sort of semi-unsuccessful blockbusters like Baywatch or something like this um or Batman v Superman, something like this. Things that bomb and cause massive financial damage to the studio because all of a sudden it has to be someone's fault, right? And then and it's never going to be the filmmaker's fault. So you, you might as well just say it's all the critics who just review, reviewed it poorly and then no one no one went to see it. So you, he he feeds into this divide and he tries to tell me that my, that if, if I see myself as a critic, I'm part of the problem because... Uh, for for some reason i should have an opinion uh, i can't have an opinion unless it's a positive opinion of his work and that's not okay so it kind of wants me to push back again you know which is something that we've talked about on the other podcast which is like if you want to tell me how to live my life i'm going to do exact opposite of what you want just to spite you okay <laughs> Well, just throw some numbers around. Assassination Nation's currently fresh for the critics of Rotten Tomatoes, which granted, Rotten Tomatoes, take it or leave it however you want. 74% fresh for the critics, 54% rotten for the audience score. So, like, yes. that divide's <laughs> clearly not quite there as he uh, hopes it is or wants it to be. I think Assassination Nation has a higher uh, critic score on Rotten Tomatoes than Malcolm and Marie does. So, I'm, I'm terrified what the fallout of this one's going to be. It's gonna Malcolm be and Marie one. is rotten. <laughs> going to be a sequel good it's no but no when when you read what he has to say when he's being asked about you know like ad-libbing stuff and and then you know and and he just he clearly doesn't improvise he thinks he's he thinks he's fucking quentin tarantino or like um i don't know um or sydney lumet or someone like that i don't know or that he he, what he what, what he films and what he writes is golden all the time and then this should be adhered to and this is why the film actually feels very written and and then you know 
this is not an accident because assassination agent also feels very irritant, but it kind of just has other things that kind of just prop it up. This thing doesn't have anything. This is all dialogue. Like doesn't have color, doesn't have um, doesn't doesn't have any sort of forward momentum. It's basically just four arguments interspersed with three sex scenes, right? Which are also kind of just a little bit lurid at the same time, which which is also quite uncomfortable on when you when you start factoring in what he thinks that I should think, and then what. So he's either trolling or he's a moron, and I have a feeling that he's a, or or both. But, but you know, it, it, there is no positive way out of, of 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 this, and I'm I'm I don't know I don't know what to think about his work anymore, and I actually am starting to think that maybe I have um, overstepped the mark on assassination nation, and uh, <laughs> no, no because okay well I can I can see if this is honest an honest opinion of someone who wants to say something about politics of the time about 2018 as a year about the experience of people who um, who are objectified on a daily basis, whose lives are never private. I mean, that's fine. You can have this, these observations, but if it's coming not out of the desire to tell a story or to have an interaction with the culture by making, or, or, or it's not coming out of a drive to just, if you, you know, if, out of your soul that you just can't sit still because you have to tell the story it's coming out of a desire of a of a spoiled rich kid to also have a career like his dad then then it's not okay like i'm not gonna validate this guy anymore because you know we have to be careful though because like there is separating the art from the artist and everyone uses that constantly when they want to say they like someone from someone problematic you know granted sam levinson isn't as problematic um, but like, I, I do think assassination has a lot of like, you know, I, I stand by pretty much everything I said in that two hour podcast we recorded. Like, I still think there's a ton of technical craft there. Granted, I think there's tons of technical craft here. Also, I think the message there is solid. Like, even though I think the guy is a fucking idiot, like, I still think that yes. film, that expression from him isn't limited because of how he is outside that film. I think in making that film, how I took it, granted, as a, you know, as a, a, a white gay guy, right? Like, I appreciate what he did with that film and I appreciate the reflection on society he created there. Everything from this point on might be shit and might be embarrassing. Again, I have not seen Euphoria. I'm not going to comment on that. I haven't but, seen um, the, um, what's it, Another Happy Day. That, that was his. Yeah, I haven't seen that one either. Debut. I haven't seen that either. But, you know, I, okay, but, well, fine. I mean, there, but there's, uh, there's quite a lot of stuff to like in Assassination Nation just on the whole, like artistically yeah. speaking. If, they, if you switch off the sound, it's, still, it's beautiful to look at. But you know, um, well, I can, I can, I, 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 can check the politics at the door, and we'll still be fine. And I, I, I do like the sort of, uh, as I said, I kind of see it as the sort of grandchild to Fight Club, and it, you know, speaks to me on that level. And it, it doesn't, it really doesn't matter that Sam Levinson is an asshole now, um, because he can't take it on the chin like a man. At least in one in one moment in his life, he he should identify, I think, as a man and just take it like a man. Okay. I just think how it's so funny in Assassination Nation how he did this whole commentary on fragile male egos, yet he has a fragile male ego. Well, you write what you know, right? Like, yeah. No, no, but 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 he's either a troll, so he's he knows this, and he's trolling us, and he's just reveling in us, just 
boiling over and over this, or he has no idea and he's he's a moron, or he or he's both. As in, he's he's trolling me, but he but he's he has no idea that he he's hurting himself more than he hurts me. Or he's a fake. He saw that he saw uh, toxic male egos, considering he clearly has one himself, understood that it was <laughs> yeah. bad in society, wrote that knowing it to be smart, like not because he authentic authentically thinks that way, but just because he was trying to be smart, created the film. People didn't like it. And then he was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to just show how toxic I am. Like, I think yeah. there's I would no, love I really wish we had Jack on this podcast, considering he thought Assassination Nation was. Um, like the film like favorite film right favorite film of like the of the century of the decade or whatever like he fucking loves that film. i would love and i know he's oh, yeah. gonna hate malcolm and marie right like it's a destined one star film from him no, so I mean, i'm very curious his thoughts on it no but see but if, if that's true then basically what i'm saying holds true as in okay well in that case i'm i think i'm i would be okay to re reevaluate my thinking about this and just see it as a uh, as something that's fake on the whole because sure. authenticity matters uh, uh, even if it's not your perspective that you're portraying because you're inspired by your girlfriend's g- drug addiction that's fine but if you're not uh, but if you're not doing this for the right reasons it's not going to be good you you make films you tell stories for the right reasons the film is going to be good whatever whatever, whatever happens there's going to be something worth your time in there if, even if the craft's not there, if the script's shit, if the performances are bad, if it's made for the right reasons, at least there's a glimmer of hope that it, someone is going to resonate with it on some level. That's at least my take on this, because you know, I'm, a, I'm a glass half full kind of person. You might not come across that way today, but yeah. <laughs> or this year, but you know, I'm sure somewhere down there, <laughs> you're a glass half full. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just, I don't, I don't think... I I I, ju- I I guess I maybe I do need to revisit uh, Assassination Nation. I I still see worth in that, but you know, could just be me. No, no, I see worth in this. It's just he's he's making it difficult for me now with this piece of shit film that he's made. Sure. Now I respect the okay. I respect the film a lot less, but I still think it's like the quality wise as good as I did. But yeah, but I still, if sense. I was Jack, I would be just fucking backpedaling like a motherfucker right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I can fully agree that Sam Levinson is very good with, like, aesthetics and, like, the technical stuff. I just think he's a shit writer. Like, honest, even, like, the plot of Malcolm Marie is stupid. Like, at the beginning no of the plot. movie, they, like, God, they, mention, they mention that it's one in the morning, and then they have, like, four arguments, and, like, fuck, like, just go to bed. And talk about it in the morning. It'll be way less dramatic after you sleep. Oh my god! That was a, that's a that's Shut a mean uh, letterbox review I saw. Just go to bed. <laughs> There's a good <laughs> TikTok on that yeah. where it's his neighbors. Do, do I need oh, yeah. to watch Euphoria now? And I'm kind of thinking I need I think to watch so. Euphoria just get like a better picture of how shit this person is. Don't validate this asshole even more. Jesus. Just watch something else. Watch Greenland. Greenland's amazing. Oh, I, I do need to watch Greenland. I've heard good. I've heard good things. So oh, Ewan, what do you think? Because we kind of just shouted over you and you just sitting there like I was a fork and shit. The, the explosion going off. I, I, honest to God, I really hated that film. I, I can't stand it. I think hearing what you and Carson and Alina have said, it's just sort of amplified my hate for this film. Because at the end of the day, it's it's like Carson said, separate the art from the artist. Yes, I think it's very difficult to do so in this instance because it's so tightly knit. The art here is being made because the artist is upset. Well, yeah, well, 
Well, if you don't tie that to his career, the film is then immediately empty. Like this is a film that relies to a point on the context of like who's making it and why they're making it. Exactly. No, no, but yeah, there there is separation of art and the artist. I know like people kind of just bring it up whenever they want to watch something by Roman Polanski or or Woody Allen. And I I have no problems watching a Woody Allen film. I I, fuck that. I mean, because there's more than a hundred people working on every film. Like Like I'm not going to, you know, disavow someone's performance or, or someone's cin- cinematography just because one one person on uh, on on the crew is a, is a piece of shit that's fine but he's he he you can't have it both ways because he's he's both he want he puts himself in front of his art he wants to be part of this he want he wants to shield his art with his own chest well therefore i'm going i'm going to be just well shooting arrows at him then not not, not at his film because you know, he, you know, he he wants to do the opposite. He wants to be both art and the artist, and he wants to be part of this conversation. Well, he's not going to like this conversation because he's not supposed to be a part of this. So yeah, let said him cry about Woody Allen because over my shoulder I've got about twelve of his Arrow releases. <laughs> I didn't mm-hmm. want to get rid of those. No, no, keep them because his Arrow releases are from the like, seventies and eighties, and they're all great. Yeah, I think it's. What was the point beyond criticizing people that didn't like Assassination Nation? There's no story outside of that. This is a film that bases itself solely on thematics, and it has none that are really worth anything other than to discuss. It's a water cooler film. It, it It's just an entire film that bases itself on themes and ideas that people can discuss and pick apart rather than having, you know, a narrative or an interest or a focal point people can go that's what this film is about i mean you know it has a story but you know like, but it but people in the story are despicable so it's very difficult to kind of just you know identify yourself with anyone because even like the main character lily colson her name is now i remember right um um you know she she's not she's not like a heroine in there she's almost an anti-heroine right she like all of these people have have problems and they're difficult well, they're problematic in some some way or another and some are downright fucking horrible so it's so it's not like you can just you know get behind someone in there you, you just have to observe as an outsider and then just and and try to unpack the symbolism in there and then see whether this kind of just where it fits and where i where, where you can identify with certain aspects of the thematics, as you said, right? Like whether you can identify with the social media sort of thing or with the sort of public perception or or incel culture or political tribalism, far right versus far left or whatever, because it's a kitchen sink of shit like this. This, you know, th- this thing also could have, could well, this thing is also one of these because you can't identify with John David Washington or Zentai because they're not real characters. They're just stand-ins for this, for, they're sock puppets for him. They speak with his voice. The cherry on top is that he felt the story was worthwhile so much that during a, in the middle of a global mm-hmm. pandemic in the city, like possibly one of the biggest cities in the world hit by this to where like the air quality, they had to stop like checking it because so many bodies are burning in crematories. It's the air quality is so bad. It's like, it affects the fucking air quality. There's so many ashes in the air. Like he felt this was worthy enough, even with a limited okay. crew granted, he felt this was enough to put people's lives at risk in the middle of a global pandemic to tell his story. 
Like, what a no, fucking yeah. asshole. I mean, I said, I said, I mean, okay, well, you give credit where credit's due. I gave this thing two stars, predominantly two stars are for, for J- John David Washington and Zendaya for actually performing as well trained theater artists, right? Because that's what they're doing. They're reciting lines and they're doing this very competently. They're, it's fine. What they're saying is beyond the pale, right? But, but, I can really get behind the sort of idea of, okay, well, let's try and beat this pandemic in, in one way or another and prove that we can still make the art that drives us somehow. And then they're doing this. Great. At least they didn't make Songbird because, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, and they tried to capitalize on this pandemic like the fucking insensitive assholes that these people who made song, Songbird did. Um, but, but Jesus Christ, like this, there's bad scripts and there's bad scripts and this is, yeah. So just next level piece of shit. Like, like, so, sorry, Sam Levinson, you're not Richard Linklater. You're not, you know, you're, you're, I don't know what you are. You're, yeah, you're a bruised Sam, Le- well, bruised son of Barry Levinson who can't figure out why you can't, you can't make Rain Man and no one's going to treat you like you're a god. You're not one. Are we saying this won't win him? Any awards then? If it wins him awards, I'm going. I'm, I'm booking a flight to LA. I'm going to take a shit on someone's desk somewhere. <laughs> and before we go any further, let's hear a word about the sponsor for today's episode. Well, speaking of awards, uh, sadly, neither of our masterpieces we talked about today got nominated. But we did get the nominations for the 2021 uh, 70th Annual Golden Globe Awards, the best award show that never gets anything wrong. Um, I wanted to quickly just come on and kind of get your guys' thoughts. It's going to be kind of a free-flowing discussion. We don't need to go like category by category or anything. Um, what did you think of these awards? Because it definitely got film Twitter talking. I need to open these awards. Hold on. Because uh, I had a few little things that when I was reading through a list of nominees, and especially when you were tweeting them out, I was like, what, what? what is going on? Like, can someone tell me? Because there's one thing I had a massive problem with. John Boyega. Best Supporting Actor for Red, White, and Blue. Is that... Yes. Yeah. What the fuck? But then they gave... Well, they gave him Supporting Actor for Small Acts. Well, yeah, but he's not a Supporting Actor. Yeah, he was the lead in one of the episodes. He was, yeah, he was the lead in one of the episodes. But not right? the series overall, though, right? So that, oh, that, by that token, there's, there's, nobody's no, there's, the lead there's nobody in then there, because... <laughs> yeah. It's That's bullshit. Dumb. It's bullshit. I didn't even look at the TV nominations, honestly. I didn't like, either. I honestly no. forgot. I forgot that Small Axis TV, technically. Yes, I, I, I specifically scrolled down to see the TV to actually see if Small Axis got anything. And actually, you know, I was just thinking, John Boyega, supporting actor. Are you nuts? And then I started Googling what the uh, Foreign Press Association actually is. It's a bunch of nobodies, by the way. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the gimmick. It's a bunch of nobodies who, like, whoever pays for lunch the most wins. Pretty much. I Which think, is, yeah. that's the thing about film Twitter, and not to go on a little rant here, but, like, everyone this year, for some reason, is like, we're doing the award season thing. We're all going to follow it, and no one knows what they're talking about at all. From the Gotham Awards to here, just nobody has any fucking clue what they're talking about. So then they like look at this and they're like, wow, these are shit nominations. Like these are irrelevant to most of the other award seasons or most of the other award shows, similar to the Gotham Awards, similar to Independent Spirit. I, I People are so mad. I do appreciate how many people are mad that Meryl Streep didn't get nominated for the film they hate. James Corden got na- nominated, which granted, be mad, you know, sure, if you want to. Oh, that's but then they're like, fuck, fuck off not nominating the other performance that we hated. Like, 
it's so funny to me the reaction to these because it's just so like incompetent not it's, to be it, rude so i don't want to say that the foreign press association is basically a bunch of like um red carpet journalists who like to take selfies with people they they nominate is that what it, is that what it is um am I, pretty am, much by yeah. the sounds of it yeah holy shit like this is no it is absolute insanity to me that Emily in Paris got two Golden Globes nominations because everybody hate watched that and you gave it two Golden Globes nominations. It's an abomination. To be fair, they gave music what uh, music got to also the film from Sia, which is like deeply problematic that everyone hates and no one's heard of. I mean, the, yeah. the trial of Chicago 7, like, need I go any further than this? Like they... Hey, Mank got the number one. He got they got six nominations. Child of Chicago Seven only got five. Yeah, I mean at least, yeah, Mank's not good, but it's well, Mank's not great, but but the trial of Chicago Seven is fucking horrendous. That's what it is. Sorkin, they love Sorkin. Of course, they're gonna nominate it. I think it'll pick up screenplay. I mean, Sorkin should be should be told by someone that he he should just you know like. Give him, give him the typewriter and say, like, this is what you're good at. Keep doing this, okay? Because you're not good at directing, and it seems like it's not. You're not getting any better. <laughs> it's just and, yeah. and Jared, Jared Leto for the little. I haven't seen the little thing. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> like, that's, 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 oh. That makes me the most angry. That makes me the most angry for sure. It's a, it's a good old-fashioned crime thriller. I mean, I can, I can get it's behind horrible. and say he had one great role. He got an Oscar for in Dallas Buyers Club. The role was great. He did great. He was directed by a very competent filmmaker, Jean-Marc Vallée, I think his name is, right? Mm -hmm. And he was working, Mm -hmm. he was surrounded by even greater talent as well. So he had someone to look up to, right? That's fine. But he's in everything else in that he that he that he makes, he's a big pile of shit. Like I'm sorry. I'm not even sorry. I'm like, I'm not sorry about this because I have no, I'm not gonna validate another one of those bad movies. So shit, like, I no, think I've heard rumors that bad. Jared Leto is some weird cult leader now. Oh, Anybody yeah. else openly heard that? is. Yeah, yeah what, what he's kind? a cult leader. I'm like, why are we nominating people like this? It's a thing. It's, I saw it on Twitter, so obviously it's a thing. I would not I be shocked if people I would not be shocked if people in the uh, Hollywood Foreign Press Association were in his cult and that's why he oh, got he nominated. <laughs> Yeah, maybe that's the explanation between behind Crude's New Age getting a nomination for Best Motion Picture. Oh, that's the fuck. only thing I can think of. No, Explains the hair, people by the way. fucking Google, lied to me about like that Jesus. one. People were like, "Crude's the New Age, it's good." I watched it after the nominations came. Out. I was like, "Fuck it, I'm just gonna have to watch it this season, I guess." And it's fucking miserable. I watched it before the nominations came out, and now seeing that it's been nominated, I'm quite worried. It's then, you know. I will say it is nice seeing something of this stage where like Bill Murray for On the Rocks, Dev Patel for uh, Personal History of David Copperfield, Anna Taylor-Joy yeah, no, for Emma. No arguments there. there are some like little hidden gems here where it's like probably not going to go to the Oscars. Palm Springs has a yeah. lot here. Hamilton, which isn't even eligible for the Oscars. Like it, Borat, I didn't like Borat, but if you did, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're happy there. Like I'm happy seeing mm-hmm. small things like that. James Corden. So best Look. performance by an actor in a motion picture musical. I know that people <laughs> kind of say, oh, you know, that we, we, we are really low on musicals this year. It says musical or comedy. Some years we don't that have any thing. musicals. It's fine not to have like, no, well, at a push, The Wolf of Wall Street got, got in as a musical or a comedy. But, you know, <sighs> Me and James, Alina... Cor- James Corden can 
fuck off. I'm sorry, but okay. no, he's not even the lead actor. He I mean, he probably is. He is actually, yeah. Even though the film's not about him. Piece of shit film. As a that's weird another, James Corden fan, that one made me like. I don't like him in that film. I was very happy to that nomination. I geeked out. I just thought it was funny. <sighs> Honestly, the category for best motion picture, comedy, or musical is fucking insanity. Like it's dumb. If Borat doesn't win that, I'm gonna be like extremely upset. Because why the fuck is the prom there? Why the fuck is Hamilton in there? I don't remember what else is in there, but it was stupid as shit too. Music I'm and like, Palm why? Springs. Palm Springs is fine. I watched it this morning. Wait, you didn't uh, like I can Hamilton? Tolerate... Uh, I've not seen this fucking film stage play. I've seen the bootleg version of it like four years ago when everyone was fucking obsessed with Hamilton. It was dumb. Hamilton's overrated. Every time I come on this podcast, I piss like a bunch of people off. And this week I pissed off Nepotism Children, Studio Ghibli fans, and uh, musical nerds. Sorry. They're not sure when you pissed off all of Britain. <laughs> Shame. Shame, shameless <laughs> plug on the next episode of Uncut Gems. Alina also pissed off the feminists. Yeah. Which you will hear about on Friday. Hey, why the hell is Minari in foreign language? I haven't seen it, but like the I know it says foreign language and not foreign film, but the fact that like Minari and then USA. It's an American stupid. film, right? Yeah. Yes. yeah. I'm like I haven't seen dumb. it by the way. You know, oh, it is in a foreign language film. Like at least if it was best international film, I get the anger. At least they're consistent with saying, like, sure, the category you can say is dumb, but like, you know, it is a foreign language film. Like they're not technically wrong. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I haven't seen it, so I can't re yeah. on this, but you know, certain certain it's... things it's just I don't know, like certain things, well, the omissions kind of bother me because it kind of looks like it's going to be yet another year where sort of the Indie Spirit Spirit Awards are going to are going to do justice to what the sort of mainstream awards are basically just blind to. Like, you know, last was it last year or two years ago, the Farewell got got, got the big uh, big award at the Indie Spirits. Was it last, it was last year? year? Was it last year? Yeah. God, it was last like a year. decade ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And then, you know, but I don't know what you guys thought about The Farewell, but I absolutely, like, this is one of my all-time favorites. It speaks to me on, on multiple levels. And just when you look at the mainstream awards, it got absolutely zero recognition. Yeah, I loved The Farewell. And then I think it only got Best Actress for Aquafina, and that was it, yeah. which is, like, a travesty. Yeah, but yeah. Oscars, it didn't get anything. I'm not sure if, if no. it even got, like, a saga or something like this. And speaking of the sag... Holy shit! Like, what did Delroy Lindo do to 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 someone in in, in the SAG Awards, whatever his act? Because it's I suppose this is you know voted on by actors, and then they just thought, no, Delroy Lindo can fuck off. Can you imagine saying last week Delroy Lindo is gonna miss both Golden Globes and SAG, but uh, fucking Jared Leto is gonna get them both? Oh, he's gonna get the Oscar too. Like, just your way. Do you think? Oh my god! I mean, they love him. I they love him. They love him. He's literally, I said this last week, he's literally playing a parody of himself in the little bad. things. He's awful. You know what? It's, at least it's You're, not Rami Malik. We got to take our wins where we can get them. I guess, yeah. But like, it's just as bad. A, a, you're telling me actors saw Jared Leto and how he walks in the little things and they thought, oh my God, best actor. They're fucking delusional. Delusional. Because <laughs> they, I mean, it's, he's, he has the pretty girl syndrome, right? Because he's like, ah. Oh. So cute. Look at him. Nobody's made to look I just want to take care of him. I just want to take care of him. Oh my God. He needs like a nap. Like you have to tuck him in. He's like, in yeah, he's like a lost puppy. And they're like, oh, look at him. Oh, he, de- he could definitely use an award. Like, let's give him a nomination. Fuck mm. <laughs> off, Jared. And he's a fucking douchey name, too. Jesus. 
go back to his little cult. I don't I don't want him in the work season. Thank you. It is wild how he's an actual cult leader. Yeah. Yeah. Like like, nobody talks about it. (laughs) It's I don't even know what his cult is about, but like why the fuck? They call him the prophet. Oh, I hate that. Oh, God. Like, I'm not even kidding. Oh, the cult is known as the. Oh, Echelon. they live on an island. That's pretty cool. Yes. Hold on. I found a nasty one. RawMusicTV.com. Actor, musician, and now apparently Jesus 2.0. Jared Leto has often been a questionable figure, mainly when he started to dress, talk, and walk like Jesus. We're guessing how Jesus might have walked, actually. His band, 30 Seconds to Mars, has always had a very dedicated following. If you watch any of their videos of live footage, you can quite clearly see people in the crowd losing their minds and worshipping the ground he stage dives on. 30 Seconds to Mars fans are also known as the Echelon, a horde of mostly young females. Jesus. <laughs> Holy shit. Like, there's, there's a good article about this. So he's, he found a, a, founded a cult in northwestern Guyana under the People's Temple. It looks to be all white women. Oh, probably. And they all, and it's basically based on all these people wanting to have sex with him. You know what, though? Good for Jared Leto. You know? Good on him, I guess. Are you trying to tell me that he's drowning in puss? Question of the week. If you were to join any cult by an that uh, your favorite an actor or director happened to start, whose cult would you join? You're welcome. <laughs> I mean, tweet us below. I, I, would, I wouldn't. Okay, well, if, if we're going there, I, I mean, I would be very sort of torn because I would want to join a cult that Quentin Tarantino stars, but stars. But I have a feeling that it's going to be all about feet. Yeah, I don't know if you want that, <laughs> Jacob. <laughs> and I'm not sure if I'm okay with this. I feel like an Adam Sandler cult would be pretty fun. I would totally join an Adam Sandler cult. I don't know. No. Um, I, I don't know. Think about a Tarantino call. Like, come on, like there will be people feet. watching old films. It's just gonna be a bunch of people in like a vat of blood, like jerking off to feet. I don't want that. Yeah. Yeah. See, you this get, is what it probably would be, movies. but in my mind, it will be people watching fifties films. Trying to Scorsese call. That's the same thing, <laughs> just without the feet. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I think I joined the Bill you also have cult. to burn a Marvel films if you join the Scorsese cult. You have to burn the Marvel. Movies. Oh, that's fine with me. Yeah. Um, oh. One division no episode there. coming soon. Oh, don't. Uh, oh, we are. That ruins my day every time I watch it. No, everyone loves it. It's fucking Lynchy and it transcends. Oh, it's, uh, it's media. so deep. It's amazing. Oh, it's... You... oh Jesus. No, but you, you know, it's. <laughs> It's by the way, I, I don't know if you guys pay attention to this, but out of all at least 20 to 25 percent of each episode, like it's credits. What yeah. the fuck? yeah, yeah, right. And people have the goal to tell me, it's like, oh, why didn't you like it? Why, you know, what's what's wrong? I'm like, because story and characters don't matter, all, all that matters is getting what what's her face wonder maximoff to to shoot to validate her powers so she can do whatever whatever the hell she needs to do in the next film that they have they have, have they have her in that's pretty much all this is boring show i think i've ever watched i haven't started watching it yet oh good yeah it's, like... another, it's another experience of watching in the toilet instead <laughs> <laughs> that's for a future episode yeah and it, yeah. it is coming just uh, listeners yeah. i'm not joking we have a wandavision episode on the horizon soon and we have to get through to all the boys so three though, yourselves but... in <laughs> oh. um man 
I can't even remember what else was like nominated for the Golden Globes because it's just like such a terrible year. It feels like another yeah. round got nominated. There is one good yeah. film. That's all right. Yeah. I'll take that. that that's that's it though. I think I it's like um... another round, but you know, good for you. I haven't seen it, so I know I can't say. Anything. Well, I don't like Wittenberg. You know, I don't like Wittenberg. So not really shocking. Yeah, not yeah, a, let's not, not let's fan. not go there. Like we've been there like twice already. Like, <laughs> just irre- not unreformable. <laughs> <laughs> the Hunt is a bad film and it's problematic. See, like, see well, you're going there and we don't have to go. The <laughs> pile of shit. I have I have a defense of this film halfway halfway written, so you know. I'm, I'm writing my thing today. I have a marked out to where I'm going to write it today. Okay, so you write you write it, but don't don't put it on Trello just yet because I want to write mine, not being informed by yours, sure. and then we can put them back to back. Sure. I think best score was kind of at least at least decent, half decent, I'd say. Yeah, Tenet. No, I mean, <laughs> ten, ten, Tenet, I can take or leave. I mean, I, I think Ludwig Gornsson's music is basically just fart noises, no? It's probably the best thing in the film. <laughs> no, I'll give it that. No, but you, you have like Trent Reznor and in... in, in, in for two films so that's okay and then at least the score in soul is amazing no here's the thing about soul and the score there i'm happy it's nominated but not at all because reznor and ross the other guy i don't know his name he does Uh, fucking like every incredible piece of score is because of him the other two are just kind of there but i agree the score overall is pretty good Uh, there's just so much i still need to watch like i was looking at the golden globe nominations and like i haven't seen a lot of these still like i just haven't gotten around to it so I haven't watched Soul, haven't watched Hillbilly Elegy or whatever the fuck, I haven't watched Make, haven't watched Promising Young Women, I've been busy and depressed, I should really start watching everything Boy, so I can like, actually have valid opinions. What a lineup I'm you like, coming like, on that list. Right, I'm like, oh, everything sounds so, ugh, that's why Soul I haven't watched really it all yet. Well, it probably has to be has has to be said again. I'm not sure what how how the tally stacks up to previous years, but Netflix is like the most nominated studio out of everything, right? It's uh, mm-hmm. it was what was 20, it? I think it was 23, 22, uh, 22 for Netflix, so. and then seven for Amazon Studios. Yeah. So, so and after that, then you see like Focus Fixture, Searchlight, Sony, and whatever. So, so all the sort of smaller sort of outfits out of out of big 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 studios are kind of just behind it but if you you know if you factor in that you know a pandemic into it it kind of looks like we may have a permanent sort of shift on our hands so that's an at least an interesting wrinkle to kind of observe yeah 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 and with soul i just like haven't really enjoyed pixar lately um like i did i really didn't like onward so like when soul came out i was like okay like i don't need to watch it right away I'm sorry, Carson. i know you like no it's okay rubbish it's It's probably the best one Everything no, so, Chris Pratt touches turns to absolute shit. No, so so was, so I'm sorry if you don't if you don't like Soul, but Soul was made for me. No, Soul's really good. I, I, I will I watch it. it. I'm pro- planning on watching it this week. Like I'm okay. trying to watch everything before the actual Golden Globes happen, so I can have proper opinions. But so far, with the things I have watched, the Golden Globes are extremely disappointing. No, this is pretty much what I what I said, you know, in like where my original reviews. I I have another article brewing on Soulbeat, but you know, it kind of feels like it's one of those things that it was basically just like most Pixar films in my mind are made for children for children, um, but with the expectation of entertaining the adult in the room. This one's kind of the opposite, as in it's made for the middle aged person who has had to pocket their dreams 
and aspirations and get busy surviving and raising a family um, and, and, and then just sprinkling in some funny things for kids to look at as well because it's kind of looks like it's basically speaking to a person like me who's just you know in in their 30s and they're realizing they're just about to get you know knock on the doors of a midlife crisis and then you know it's incredibly uh, so, depressing. I, I, I really like it, but it is very depressing. No, it's just like if you wait, like, I don't know, 15 years from where you are now, and then you re- and when, when you think to yourself, then, oh, I could have done this, I could have done that. And then you realize, like, I'm, like I've, I've been just busy doing things and surviving paying bills and, I don't know, maintaining a relationship or whatever. You know? As a 23-year-old soul stands, it sounds extremely depressing. No, but, oh, that's, uh, but that's just life. <laughs> That's just what it is. Life, life just happens. No, but while just you're like dreaming. Specific, specifically right now, when like I graduated last year and I can't find a real job, extremely depressing. Like yeah. I, think, I think the reason I've not watched Soul yet is I feel like it's gonna hurt my feelings more than they are already hurt. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, yeah. I, I don't think my little heart can take it right now, but I, I watched watch it. it before the Golden Globes. I promise. <laughs> I watched it the day it came out, which was also my birthday. So I was sat on Christmas Day. Oh no! And <laughs> looking at that and thinking, that's the life for me. That's that's yet to come. And it was honestly terrifying. Well, I really enjoyed it out during quarantine. No, like, I mean, you can't go make the most no. out of your life. Like you're stuck in like, oh my god. <laughs> no, 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 get I, out there and experience. It, it is life. a little bit. It is a bit. Okay, it is life affirming. It's hopeful, and you know, it's. I guess it's unfortunate because we have you know you can't go outside because people will arrest you i suppose at least in my neck of the woods i think they will give you a hundred pound fine if you go out and then you're not going to a shop then you may have a problem but you know but i suppose it's it's, it's a bit unfortunate but it, it, it i don't know it's it's the first pixar film that it's actually aimed at an adult in the room and i have i, I have a thing that they should probably just get recognized for this and if like onward gets the award i'm back in jesus Oh my god. Onward is a Onward masterpiece. Best Pixar film. I mean, in all fairness, I haven't seen this. In, in, you haven't in, seen in, Onward? No, I just saw snippets and I was just thinking, okay, this is for another I, day. I think, I mean, I haven't seen Crudes, but like out of the ones, I don't know. I would love if Over the Moon won it. I loved Over the Moon. I thought that was freaking cute as hell. Bunny? Oh my god. I love that bunny so much. They should win Best Animation purely for that little bunny. Cruz is the underdog. Like I, that's <laughs> success written all over it. Uh, Wolfwalkers, I would appreciate. Yeah, I'd say that that mm-hmm. Wolfwalkers is the genuine underdog. Um, Best screenplay, and we've I seen Golden it. Globes. They gave it what they gave Missing Link the award over Toy Story Four. So like, it's possible True. Wolfwalkers win. True. Yeah. They did. They did. Fuck Toy Story, by the way. Rewatch that shit. <laughs> Fucking, I hate. Horrible film franchise. Genuinely don't. Whoa! Care. No, 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 no. no, no. Oh. Every single there's one an, is shit. There's one that's that's okay. The first oh. one because no. it was the first one. Because no, no. If you have to at least appreciate that without Toy Story, you don't have the whole field of CGI animation sp- sprouting out of thin air. True. I have. Yeah. I have to appreciate that for Earwig and the Witch. You know, look where it's gone. <laughs> Yeah, making a '90s film in 2020, fucking great. It's it's made great waves for the genre. <laughs> no, but yeah, you know, at least Toy Story one. You can I mean, okay, well, story is what it is. But at least on a on a technical level, at, you know, sure, absolutely. It, and by, by the way, I think Toy Story was the first instance of an animation getting a its separate award, and then after that, they got animated feature. 
I mean, this is like my views on Godfather, right? Like, you have to appreciate it, but like, the film isn't good. Yeah. No, like, no, no. I still haven't watched it yet. I, I mean, didn't get around to certain, it because I was like, I should watch some more Golden Globe stuff first. <laughs> you know, you know, you you said it yourself. It's okay if you don't like certain things as long as you articulate it right. Absolutely. So you know, Sam like, Levinson would disagree though. I don't. Sam <laughs> Levinson can. <laughs> though. I think the only the only big uh. things I'm missing from the Golden Globes are Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Hamilton, and what was I've already forgotten the other one. Doesn't matter though. It's probably shit. What you haven't seen Ma Rainey's Black Bottom? No, not yet. I was I put it on my schedule and I was like. I'll get around to this at some point. And now it's February. Hold on. Do you schedule watching films? Sometimes, yeah. It just keeps me on track. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. I can't leave this. Okay. What, Seeing okay, the state you... of your letterbox and what you've chosen to prioritize <laughs> you... is genuinely yeah, you... scary. No, no, no. I've been covering Rotterdam. It's been no, no, horrible. No, you need to walk me through this. Like, you need to walk me through this process. Like, what do you do? Like, do you, like when you think, oh, what am I going to watch? Oh, should I watch Marini's Black Bottom? I have. I well, do, do you go like, I don't have time. Should I put it on the. And do you open like your Google calendar and say, yeah. oh, I've yeah, got, got time. Up. I've got time like a 7 30 to 9 <laughs> on a Friday. And then you put it there and then you try to keep your appointment. It's kind of just, I'll put one or two films down where it's like, this has just came out. I need to watch this today because it's out today and I get a review done. I don't stick sense. to it where it's like, like you're I like, need to watch like, this like today. You're, okay, you're, you're like Rain Man on some level. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I should start yeah. doing that like considering how much I haven't seen this year. Yeah. <laughs> I have it all color-coded and everything. Oh, it's oh great. <laughs> it was just a big chunk of purple where it was like Rotterdam for Clapper. <laughs> then it's, now it's just all light, horrible blue. because It's all the new films that are coming out. And then it's like, it's it's basically light blue films and then all the 60s Godzilla films. Blue films, hey, you say? So, the blue that's films. A, that's a uh, euphemism for porn from the 80s. No, no. <laughs> well, I can, I, I've never met anyone who watched a, a whole full feature porno start to finish. I'm that's dedicated not how to we film want, reviewing. <laughs> no, no, blue, blue this is... is like, this is a very film. utilitarian experience. This is not, you know... <laughs> If you're watching all the old Godzilla films, though, Jakob, you should add Ebra Horror of the Deep to Uncut Gems because that's a fucking masterpiece. 60s oh, well, Godzilla, good shit. Well, we need to get put it on the list then, you know. But turns out, I think, by, based on what my Twitter activity is now, I think we need to uh, move, move up Mother because I, I think people are ready for this conversation. Yeah? <laughs> I don't know. I just tweeted something random, like four pictures from, from Mother and saying, like, oh, I just, just felt like saying it's great. But I don't think people are ready to to see this yet. I've got like 500 likes on this and 100 retweets. Damn. So on that very positive and very focused note, uh, let's round out Coppercast how we always do. We like to end on the crew's latest film recommendations. I'll start us off this week. Uh, if you want to watch a good Studio Ghibli film about a witch, go watch Kiki's Delivery Service by Hayao Miyazaki. I don't think it's a five out of five film. Uh, I'm not someone who thinks a lot of Ghibli films are. I think there's a select view. But this is one that like is four out of five, really, really solid. Uh, fun story about a witch and finding your place in the world. Uh, the animation's stunning. This is classic 80s Hayao Miyazaki. So, I mean, you can't really go wrong. I would definitely recommend you check it out. Jakob, what is your recommendation for this week? See, I, I don't, I have watched a pile of stuff actually, but um, I was thinking what to do. So can I do two? Can sure. I do two? Yeah, because I don't have one, so go ahead. Go for it. <laughs> okay. So I wanted to say, is that I've finally caught up with The Last Dance. I don't know if you've seen this. This documentary series about um, how the Chicago Bulls won their uh, sixth 
um, NBA championship in 1998. And that kind of just brought me back because I was basically just staying up to watch these things uh, when I was, well, 14, because I'm an old fart. So, so that's great. I just realized that, you know, like I was looking up to, uh, to Michael Jordan when I was a kid. And I think I'm still looking up to him because he's, he's, he, he's a proper troll. But, you know, the, the documentary series is pretty awesome. Um, so that's worth watching. And I've also caught up with Greenland. I, I was kind of pleasantly surprised because I was kind of just thinking, oh, this is just going to be a dumb blockbuster. I'm just going to just, you know, um, veg out and watch, <laughs> watch it without really thinking. But it's kind of like what, what deep impact was to um, Armageddon, this is to 2012. So, and I was like, and I'm a fan of Deep Impact, so you know, so so it's pretty pretty awesome. Jared Butler is is finally embracing his Scottish accent. He's not trying to cover it because his his character is Scottish, so so he's like that's that's great. But you know, it's well well worth seeing, especially that you know it doesn't really cost you much because it's on Prime. Perfect, Ewan. I forgot again, but I do have a recommendation, and it's only because I'm reading another one of his books uh, starting next week. I'm going to recommend Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Um, I'm a massive fan of Hunter Thompson and I think when I first watched Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas the movie I hadn't read the book and I thought this is a very good Gilliam film you know it's all his Dutch angles and his oddities and his colourful flair and then I read the book and I thought this is more Hunter Thompson than Gilliam and I think it it, it is a truly amazing film it's the last good Johnny Depp role we've had and it's been over 20 years so it's well worth basking in that it's quite nice it's um an odd little pulling apart of 60s and 70s culture. It's quite nice. Wow, you didn't really like Fantastic Beast 2, The Crimes of Grindelwald? That's, that's a I shame. can't say I'm a fan. <laughs> <laughs> that's a nice then, dig. <laughs> Alina, you don't have one, right? Oh, well, yeah, I don't have a movie, but I have a TV show. Sure. Um, so, like, all the movies I've watched recently have either been things we have already talked about the podcast and or I didn't like. So I started watching Shit's Creek. Um because you know it's iconic and it's a Canadian TV show and as a Canadian I was like I should fucking watch this talking a piece of shit and I just finished season one this week and it's hilarious and here's a hot take for you Eugene Levy is super hot so you should be watching Shit's Creek it's 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 so good it's so good so that's my recommendation Shit's Creek and they're I bet they're gonna sweep the Golden Globes just like they did the Emmys so oh uh, Carson you might be happy to because you know talking tv i can't really fully recommend it because i haven't finished watching this but i have a tv show that i can i can probably just tell you you'll probably be happy to know that i've been watching i'm really having a great time wandavision no sorry joking (laughs) (laughs) um we are who we are i started watching uh so and so far so good you know so really looking forward to finishing this it's exciting i'm happy i'm excited to hear your thoughts that's one thing i was the one thing i was like sad about the golden globes was that it didn't get nominated because it got nominated at the spirit awards and i was like oh my god maybe we're doing it we're not doing yeah, it well, but you know that probably, it's means it, that probably means it's, or, it, it, it's great show. because you know if, if mainstream award awards are kind of just taking taking a detour around it and then indie spirit are picking up the slack that probably means it's great yeah well true yeah. uh cool well oh boy that's it for this week episode of clappercast after doing this for like 10 times you think i know i'd do this better but i don't uh where can we find everyone on social media alina where can we find you i'm at alina Fallens on twitter and letterboxd Ewan? i'm at you and on letterboxd and twitter Jakob? 
Well, you can find me at uh, Talk About Film on Twitter and that's Jakub Flash on uh, Letterboxd. And by the way, Carson, you keep butchering my name every single time I get here. Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> Wait, what's anyway, your name? Uh, Flash. There's oh, a Flash. Oh. Yeah, there you go. But hey, well, you know. I, Why I, is there I, not an H at the end of your name then? Because <laughs> I'm Polish. <laughs> but anyway. At least it's not calling you Jacob. Yeah. yeah that, no, Jacob but, Flash know, over there. I, t- I, 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 t- I take what I can. Uh, what I can anyway so you can find me there and then you can find you know oh shameless plug number two you can find um, our new show at Uncut Gems Pod on Twitter and then uh, you can find my stuff on flash on, the, on film.com as well and then yeah so that's me she told me that weeks ago come on uh, you can find me on at Twitter at BP underscore movie reviews on Letterboxd just Carson Tamar and you can find all the latest releases of film and television reviewed at www.clapperltd.co.uk and to find our social links on Facebook uh, Clapper at Facebook Clapper LTD on Letterboxd and at Clapper LTD on Twitter uh, also we're on YouTube now we're announcing the winners of the 2021 Clapper Staff Awards on there later this week hopefully so make sure to check us out there uh, make sure to rate subscribe and follow us if you want to be notified when the next episode releases every single Wednesday and thank you all for listening and we'll be back next week to discuss all things cinema cinema